Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Good morning. Those are the voices of protesters in Hong Kong. What is your protest song? What does it sound like when you raise your voice in concern or opposition or advocacy? I find it uh, humbling and instructive that the people of Hong Kong are singing Alleluia to the Lord. They are also, by the way, uh, singing the Star Spangled Banner, which is an interesting uh, that is an interesting development in the Hong Kong protests over the weekend. So you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm your host, Carmen LeBurge. It is Monday, September the 9th, 2019. Welcome. I am in studio this morning with Paul Perot. Good morning, sir. Good morning. It is exciting to see you in addition to hearing you. Yeah, usually we don't see each other. You just hear each other because you're in your little studio down in Tennessee and doing the radio magic that way. The radio so, magic, yes. yes. So we're doing the radio magic uh, together live in studio today. It's exciting to be here. So um, we have a great show planned for this morning. Brandon Showalter is actually waiting in the wings right now to join me on air. He and I are going to talk about developments in the uh, Planned Parenthood David Delighton case that is developing now in California. Some really gruesome revelations uh, during those hearings about uh, what what STEM bought from Planned Parenthood and how obviously they procured those parts of babies uh, on the market here in the United States of America. It's really gruesome. But let me uh, let me just ask this before we before we go to a quick break, because I think that the question of what we're singing and what we're singing in protest and what we're singing in advocacy is an interesting question for us to ask ourselves. Uh, I like I like the song uh, about letting my life song sing. And I hope that my life song is singing in a way that is winsome and is glorifying to God and edifying to people. I hope that my life song is not you know, some kind of like screech or screed out there in the in the public sphere. And so let's ask ourselves, what what is my life song and what does that sound like to people in the culture? Am I am I speaking the truth in such a way um, that people are covering their ears, or am I am I sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ in my conversations throughout the day in ways that both honor Jesus and um, people are actually able to hear me? It is um, it is sweet. It is winsome. So that's my question. What is our life song? Uh, certainly, Mary. Uh, her Magnificat is a good place to turn in Luke chapter two. If you're looking for a life song. Philippians 2 is a good life song to be singing as well. So let our life song sing as we uh, go to a quick, quick pause. And then when we come back, Brandon Showalter from the Christian Post will be here. We'll be right back. The end of this day, more 
Joining me now, Brandon Showalter from The Christian Post. You can follow him on Twitter at Brandon M. Show. You can follow The Christian Post at Christian Post. Welcome back, my friend. Good morning, Carmen. So this, uh, the developments in this case related to David Daleiden um, are really particularly disturbing. Um, there's a Planned Parenthood staffer who has admitted to supplying uh, baby body parts to brokers. And then the STEM CEO, the, the company at sort of STEM Express at the, at the center of this, admitted in court on Thursday that her biotech company actually supplies beating fetal hearts and intact fetal heads to medical researchers. Now, obviously, in order to do that, those um, those children have to be delivered alive or at least partial. Uh, we're talking about, you know, gruesome partial birth abortion here. Um, fill us in. Yes, uh, this this case for anyone who has followed it since all of this started being exposed back in the summer of 2015. Uh, <laughs> it's not short on gruesome details because this entire enterprise is just grotesque. But what you said is correct, that this is the preliminary hearing in uh, the court proceedings for Daniel, uh, for David Daleiden and Sandra Merritt, who were the activists that started exposing this years ago. And, um, you know, the footage for people who don't remember, but I don't know how you could forget, (laughs) the undercover footage uh, showed these Planned Parenthood executives and clinicians talking cavalierly about their transactions and their dealings with biotech companies regarding uh, fetal organs that are, were obtained through abortions. And so when they, although, you know, the abortion giant has worked strenuously to deny uh, that this has been <laughs> what they've been doing, uh, when they had to take the witness stand and say under oath, they are indeed saying yes, that there were financial transactions between those entities. Uh, and so uh, David Daleiden's group, the Center for Medical Progress, has been sharing some of the details of what has gone on during those court hearings, uh, and the details are, as you said, just very gruesome. Um, they, when when push comes to shove, they are admitting that what Daleiden has said all along is true. So if I understand correctly, at the center of this case is the question uh, of whether or not these conversations were um, somehow either privileged and confidential and protected by uh, non-disclosure agreements that weren't signed until, in some cases, months after the conversations took place. But it, it's my understanding that uh, if if I am having a conversation in a public place and that conversation could easily be overheard by, you know, the wait staff or the people at the table next to me, then... I'm really conceding that it's not a confidential conversation because it's not taking place in, a, in any kind of confidential setting. So I think that's what's ultimately going to be at issue here, which is really interesting that we are we are parsing the question of whether or not um, what was said could or could not be legally recorded instead of having the really deep moral conversation about whether or not we should be dismembering human beings. Right. Uh, the the charges against Daleiden and Merritt are about you know privacy invasion and, and you're you've expressed it well uh, and Daleiden and Merritt's attorneys maintain that it's only Daleiden and Merritt that have been uniquely subjected to this kind of aggressive prosecutorial action uh, and I California Democrats are extremely supportive of abortion and so they run that state. 
and they've colluded with Planned Parenthood extensively. Democratic presidential candidate and Senator Kamala Harris and the state's attorney general, Javier Becerra, adamantly, adamantly pro-abortion. And so I, I'm not going to just accuse them of a political hit job here on the radio this morning, but uh, it does. It looks like an extremely biased case to me. Um, and they've received a lot of money. That, that's not quite, that's not in doubt. They have extreme have received a lot of money from groups like Planned Parenthood. And so, you know, other and other, other undercover, other, excuse me, other undercover investigations have happened um, where you could say the similar dynamics would have been in play with regard to privacy. And there haven't been this kind of you know, prosecution. I mean, this is not the first undercover footage to be discovered and for it to be controversial. But the film, the filmmakers who took it weren't taken to court like this. So next, Brandon, I want to turn our attention to um, this very, very public, uh, I'll, I'll describe it as a confession by Benny Hinn. Uh, for folks who are not aware of this, Benny Hinn, uh, who is very, very well known, what I will call a uh, public professional Christian, uh, who has long taught what we might describe as the health and wealth gospel or a prosperity gospel, um, has now declared, you know what, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I believe it's been an offense to the Lord and the Holy Spirit is fed up with it. So uh, Brandon Showalter from the Christian Post and I are going to dig into that story next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Indeed, God is on the move. There's no doubt about it. I want uh, each and every person to be looking today for evidence of God's glory and God's presence and the way that God is pouring out his grace upon us. Um, And we're going to turn our attention now with Brandon Showalter from the Christian Post to a a really pretty stunning reversal in terms of a a public professional Christian. Benny Hinn is at the center of this conversation he has, for decades, um, been, I would say, one of the purveyors of miracles for money uh, or the prosperity gospel. Um, and he has now very publicly said, you know what, that that grieves the Holy Spirit and the motivation of the giver ought to be a genuine desire to um, to simply give, not to give in order to get. Uh, Christian, Brandon. Brandon, who is a Christian and with the Christian Post. Brandon, uh, bring us up to speed on this story. Yes, this is a significant development, though I um, I would just caution everyone to just sort of still wait and see, because um, I think th- this confession, as you just indicated about, you know, Benny Hinn saying that he is, you know, now renouncing the prosperity gospel, specific words were that the Holy Ghost is just fed up with it. I think we're going to have to wait and see what kind of action takes place. Um, but yes, it's true. Um, he recently did say that that it's, his prosperity has gone a little crazy and that he's correcting his own theology. That Everyone needs to know that and because when he reads the scripture today, he doesn't see, he doesn't see the Bible in the same lens that he did 20 years ago. Um, uh, and he said that he thinks it's an offense to the Lord – to say, you know, give $1,000, and it grieves the Holy Spirit to put a price tag on the gospel, and so he's, quote-unquote, done with it, um, and that he's not going to ever ask for, you know, $1,000 anymore. But, um, so, 
I, this is a welcome development, I think, because, uh, you know, one of the things that I've often found is that people who are not Christians with whom I engage, they see this kind of thing, not just with Benny Hinn, but they see others on television, you know, televangelist types that are similar, and they just see the the utter ridiculousness of it, and they don't necessarily know that that's not what all Christians stand for. You'd be surprised at how many people think that that's representative of the Christian faith. Um, but I just would just say to your listeners, uh, I think it would be interesting to see if he would give a lot of the money back that he has sort of asked for in a very kind of slick way. Uh, and if he's willing to do some of that, then maybe this renunciation is really true. I mean, we, well, I just would say wait and see. So the uh, so the wait and see part, the trust and verify, uh, it echoes what his nephew Costi is very publicly saying. Uh, one of his comments about this is truth and time go hand in hand. Um, and the that is an interesting conversation for each and all of us to have about things that we profess or confess about our faith, um, it's one thing to say it, it's then another thing to show it. So, you know, I can tell all day long, but can I show forth the gospel? Can I, is there fruit? What is the fruit of uh, of the seeds that are planted? I think these are interesting right. conversations for us to have as Christians, uh, you know, for ourselves as we reflect on the things that we say. Um, am I just, am I just preaching it or am I living it? Am I just teaching it? Am I just telling other people uh, to to do do as I say, but not as I do. I think these are good. Mm-hmm. These are good discipleship conversations for all of us to be having. Right, and I'll just say this too. Um, I think it's really important for people. If indeed, you know, this change of heart that he's had is real, then I would say it's important for people to be willing to receive him and and stop their unkind words toward him. If this does bear out. Uh, I know some people who they puff their theological chests up very, <laughs> very highly, and they just love heretic hunting, and it's just kind of, they think they have the most perfect, pristine theology, and it's just, it just smacks of Phariseeism, and it's the most offensive thing. It's like, if if someone's truly repentant, we should rejoice, whatever the error. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. And so I, I mean, far be it. We're, we're a disciple of Jesus, and that means we're all on a journey, and we're all learning. As much as I value biblical truth and want to, you know, stay grounded in God's word to, for the furtherance of the gospel, uh, that is just as evil, I would submit, uh, for, for people to just think they've got it also down pat, and they can't be willing to recognize that when someone does come into the you know, a better understanding of the gospel or renunciation of any kind of error. I mean, for goodness sakes, welcome them with open arms. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> we're I, all on that journey. I, yeah. I, I know. I want to get to this story that you have posted um, at, at ChristianPost.com. Democrats pass resolution praising religiously unaffiliated Americans and deriding religious liberty. Okay. I will just admit, I think you're the only person reporting on this. And so please let us know what happened at the Democratic National Committee's summer meeting in San Francisco. Yes, this was a meeting on August 24th in San Francisco where they passed a resolution you know, praising what many have called the nuns. That's N-O-N-E-S. These are pe- people who have no particular religious affiliation and identify themselves as such. Uh, and they're 
uh, more people are identifying themselves this way now, sponsored by a secular organization. Uh, and the thing that really stuck out to me was how the resolution held that uh, religious liberty is used in a mis misguided way to uh, further uh, <laughs> discrimination against people, particularly uh LGBTQ identified persons. Can I read a paragraph uh, from it that you quote? Go sure. Go okay, right so ahead. So here's here's a paragraph, and this I'm I'm drawing this from Brandon's reporting. You can find it at ChristianPost.com. Those most loudly claiming that morals, values, and patriotism must be defined by their particular religious views have used those religious views with misplaced claims of religious liberty to justify public policy that has threatened the civil rights and liberties of many Americans, including but not limited to the LGBT community, women, women, and ethnic and religious, non-religious minorities. Uh, that, that's part of what it reads. So I would say this is clearly an effort to um, advance the Equality Act. It's clearly an effort to see um, uh, SOGI concerns, sexual orientation, gender identity concerns, equated with uh, with issues related to men and women or issues related to people of different races. Right. And it's, I mean, it really does show how the political demographics have shifted in our country. I, um, it's, I mean, I, religious liberty is not code for bigotry. I mean, that's, that's, but to see the Democratic Party now assert that is, I think, quite remarkable, just to say the very least. Yeah, and I think, Brandon, people forget that, you know, the Republican Party or the GOP and uh, and the Democratic Party, the DNC, are, um, they they control the process and therefore they right. control the candidates that, that we even mm -hmm. have the ability to elect. And mm -hmm. so their platforms are not irrelevant. The resolutions that they pass and the platforms that they then put forth at their conventions are are not irrelevant to us as you know as a people as a nation and so I just want to encourage people to be paying attention to party platforms because the planks in the in the platform are then what the people who are elected who are then beholden to the party because that's who essentially paid to get them where they are through advertising and other things um you know they put the political machine in place to get their party's candidates elected and then those people are beholden to the party to advance the platform. And so what's the pla the planks in a party's platform matter. And that means these kinds of resolutions matter as well. You've said it very well. <laughs> oh, I love it. I, you're just, just so affirming. I just appreciate that, man. Thank well, you. I, you know, I just need a little it's true. I, I'm a truth teller. <laughs> okay, so um, we, don't, we don't have a huge amount of time. In one minute, can you tell us about this Finnish politician who's in hot water for quoting the Book of Romans? Yes, I know. Don't ask me to pronounce her name because I can't speak Swami. I can't speak Finnish. But she tweeted a viral verse, and she's a member of parliament, and she was actually criticizing the Church of Finland for supporting a pride, pride, you know, gay pride festivities. Um, and so she quoted that passage in Romans one. And she she just mused on Twitter, you know, should the should the church be supporting this kind of thing? And now the police are investigating her for a potential crime, for tweeting a Bible verse with a question. I mean, that's – I wish that – I wish I was making this up. But, you know, since when are our tweets, you know, asking a question about what a church is doing considered a crime? Um, but that's what's happening.
So <laughs> and and she's I, now being investigated. Yeah, and the part of this that's a little bit stunning, right, is that the Lutheran Church is the official state church. And so right. she's objecting to something that the state church is actually participating in, which is this gay pride event, which really, I think, highlights the church having abandoned its its rightful role in uh, in the culture. So prayers prayers right. need to ascend not only for this uh, sister in Christ, uh, but for the word of God to go forth today uh, with power from all means, including social media. Hey, Brandon Showalter, thank you so much for joining us today. You guys can follow him uh, on Twitter at Brandon M. Show, and you can find him at ChristianPost.com. We'll be right back. You may have uh, heard that Democrat candidate for president or the pre- or, you know, candidate for the presidential nomination on the Democratic side, Pete Buttigieg, who is a mayor in uh, in Indiana. He appeared on a, uh, a radio program called The Breakfast Club and was sharing uh, his rationalization of support for legal abortion up until the point of birth. He suggested that perhaps human life uh, does not begin at conception nor at any point along a pregnancy, but not until the child actually draws its first independent breath. That's that's at least what it sounded like in terms of what he said. Um, And what we're going to talk with Adam Carrington about here next on the show um, is we're going to actually take this apart because Buttigieg is suggesting that as he reads the Bible, parts of the Bible talk about one thing and then parts of the Bible uh, talk about uh, life in other in other ways in terms of when it begins. And and then he talks about the difference in interpretation. And that is actually, I think, the critical point here. Can the Bible mean whatever uh, I want it to mean in order to rationalize my Wow, choices. And when you when it really comes down to it, this is going to be a question of whether or not God is the author of life and therefore has any authority over it, or uh, whether or not as autonomous individuals, we are the ones with the authority over the very word of God. That conversation up next with Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. We'll be right back. One of my favorite quotes is, life is what happens to us while we're busy making other plans. It always makes me laugh probably because it's so true. Hi, this is Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. You know, life is unpredictable. You hope for the best, but at the same time, you prepare for things that could derail your future. There's one simple thing you can do now, and that's create a plan. Think about your short-term and long-term plans for spending, saving, and giving. That way, when life happens, you can feel confident you have enough to take care of yourself and your loved ones, and you can share your abundance with others. One of my favorite verses from the book of Proverbs says, commit your ways to the Lord and your plans will be established. So keep in mind, God will help guide you as you strive to be a good steward of the gifts he's given you. And you can feel confident knowing he has a plan for your life. Few people uh, say things in public discourse as controversial as Pete Buttigieg, and few people are living a life that is, um, by its self-description, Christian, 
um, in a way that is so contrary to what is the commonly understood meaning of that word over all of the course of history. Uh, Adam Carrington joins me now from Hillsdale College. You can follow him on Twitter at Carrington AM. You can follow Hillsdale at Hillsdale. Um, I don't know. Give me the over and under, Adam, on uh, Pete Buttigieg and his articulation of his Christian faith in support of abortion up until the very point that a child is born. Right. What, what's been interesting about uh, Buttigieg is that he's been a very vocal articulator that that actually the left has the better understanding of the political ramifications of Christianity. And so recently he had hedged a little bit on abortion, but recently came right out and said that, well, in the Bible, there are parts that say that life begins at breath. Now, I, I, I didn't catch a specific reference there. I, I, the best I can tell is maybe it's the creation of, of human beings account in Genesis that uh, uh, man was given the breath of life by God. Um, and but I think the I, I think there we it's something that we need to take seriously. But something that, as many others have pointed out, there's lots of counters to. Um, there's so many articulations in Psalm 139 about God knitting together uh, um, uh, some uh, children in in their mother's wombs. Uh, Jeremiah 1:5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God says to Jeremiah. So it, it seems to me that uh, this is a kind of reading that isn't taking seriously how the Bible sees life before the womb, uh, in the womb before uh, before natural birth. So there's all there's so many uh, layers to the conversation that we could have here. We could have a conversation about scripture being rightly understood as opposed to scripture being subject to whatever. Um, rationalization I must apply to it in order that it conforms to a particular period of time or the ideas of the age. We could have a conversation um, about uh, whether or not, if you take him at his word here, anyone who is then unable to breathe on their own is no longer a human being. And therefore, you know, a tracheotomy is something that is contrary to, like, I mean, the, I mean, right? We would be having Christian moral conversations about um, medical intervention related to the lungs and breath, if breath is the defining feature of a human life. Right, and I think it it denies, uh, it it actually does what uh, often uh, people like Buttigieg, uh, it sort of reverses something that they often do. They often, I think, try to over- uh, stylize the Bible, make the Bible overly metaphorical, overly poetic. And here I think he's trying to make it overly literal. I think the idea that we talk about breath uh, as being a marker of life is actually biblically just showing that it that, that is a, a potential marker, but that it's more showing, similar to metaphors about blood, the idea that uh, 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 there are sort of poetic uh, shorthands for what life means, but that doesn't mean you have to take it absolutely literally. And I think you're right. And with our own medical technology, um, really, it points to the larger debate that in order for us to 
keep life sacred, in order for us to protect human beings from attack in the various ways that life can be attacked, we actually have to have a serious conversation about what life is, when it begins, when it ends. And I don't think he was actually trying to have a serious conversation about that, but I think you're right to go in that direction, that it points to kind of callousness about the nature of life that we sometimes have and the way we talk about it. If you um, if you actually research where he gets this idea, it, it, it troubles me that it might be from a meme that was uh, being spread around back in June. Like this is this is kind of what's disturbing to me on this point is that we haven't we have not heard serious politicians um, or frankly even the the sort of pro-abortion advocacy crowd use this this appeal or this reference to the breath of life passage from Genesis. Um, And I suspect we haven't seen it used because it's not a very good biblical argument at all. Um, But it it disturbs me a little bit that he could be getting this idea from this sort of meme controversy that took place back in June around, I mean, somebody's humorous or or effort at humor um, on the internet related to related to a pro-abortion advocacy effort. I just, uh, it's disturbing to me how little people seem to, understand about how to study scripture and that if it's really God's word, then it's not about you interpreting it one way and me interpreting it another way. It's about both of us submitting ourselves to the authority of God and seeking to discern the truth together, like, right? And we're not going to stop seeking to discern the truth until we have arrived at the truth. And I think you're, what you point to, they actually undermined something else. Even if you wanted to be secular on this and deny all religious arguments, you're actually denying the idea that words can have a common meaning. And if words can't have a common meaning that we can all understand together, and it may be hard to get there, but if we can't understand words at all, then how can we have law? How can we have common rules and common understandings of justice to rule over us and determine what's good? How can we have a common constitution? How can we have a common book of statutes? Um, uh, It really undermines even the ability that language has power to communicate. And what's left if you take away God and if you take away even a common understanding of words, especially his word, then you're left with pure power. You're left with words as being another way for... Uh, oppressors to oppress the oppressed. Uh, And I think that that undermines it as well when you try to say, well, I have my Bible, you have yours. Uh, It just, it it does more than uh, undermine the authority of God. It undermines the authority of order and law in general, which he's uh, obviously the origin of. Which is a nice segue into a conversation about Robert Mugabe, who has now died, um, tyranny at work in the world. Um, We're going to talk about Mugabe's death when we come back. We're also going to talk about CNN's climate palooza event. (laughs) Is that good language for you, Adam? You like that? I I like that a lot. I I would put that even better than my Scotusmus from uh, June. So, (laughs) All right. I'm talking with Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. We'll be right back. Robert Mugabe was uh, the, I'm going to use the word leader, of Zimbabwe for a very long period of time, and he has now died. Now, he is famous for having said that only God could uh, remove him from leadership in Zimbabwe, and um, now apparently God has done that. Adam Carrington, talk about Robert Mugabe and why 
Zimbabwe's strongman being dead even matters. Right. I, I think it it is a, a, an interesting lesson because he actually came into power uh, in the 70s and into 1980 as a hero. Uh, there, he was attacking the colonial uh, control of Zimbabwe by by uh, uh, foreign forces and was seen as a skilled negotiator in trying to bring about an independent republic. Um, but then what we see, and this is something that is is, is a warning for all political uh, uh, situations, but including our own, is uh, the, the man that came as liberator became his own kind of captor. And I think it shows that uh, power, how much power can corrupt, how much power can turn even possibly good intentions toward tyranny. And that what we then see is uh, 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 this man who was supposed to liberate this country coming in and becoming himself a dictator that killed many people, destroyed many lives, destroyed much property, and did so in a way that I think undid all and maybe more than that of any positive legacy he had built before. And I think it's it's a testament. Uh, it, it makes me kind of think of when when Saul becomes king in, in the Bible and and there's all these good things he's supposed to do and seems to do. And then by the end of it, the people are begging to get rid of their king. I think a similar thing uh, happens here. And there's certainly a story of injustice uh, early on in Mugabe's life, and I don't want to gloss over that. I mean, he was unjustly imprisoned for, what, like a decade uh, in the the mid-60s. He was, I think, he was still in prison when he was elected president in 73. And so, yes, for yeah. the first time, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that, right, I mean, we're we're not saying that uh, that everything that happened in his life, nor certainly the things that were happening in Rhodesia, which was what the country was called at the time, um, were, were just. None of us are arguing that. But the way that this person who really was... Um, uh, the mobilizer or the uh, or the person at the center of an independence movement in what became uh, Zimbabwe totally became a, a tyrant. Is that fair to say? I mean, a human rights violator in really extreme form. He became as much or more of a monster as far as how he treated human beings as he was fighting against uh, uh, before he came to power. And it shows how dangerous revolutions can be. I think we should be very thankful for the revolution the Americans had, how moderate it was. It doesn't mean there weren't some excesses, but we didn't go on a killing rampage. We didn't replace one dictator with another. And so many other revolutions, the French Revolution, uh, uh, that was not long after our own revolutions like this. We see the, uh, the, the, the person that comes in as a liberator becoming themselves the dictator. And I think that is a, a thing to give us pause and, and, and worry and concern about uh, sin, how sin infiltrates human leadership and human government. Okay, let's, uh, let's talk about CNN's climate uh, event. And, you know, I... I describe it as the climate palooza, and apparently we're going to continue to be subjected to such. But um, what what are you, what was your what were some of your takeaways from this marathon event? 
I would like to know what the carbon footprint of a seven-hour uh, uh, palooza, as you describe it, was. But uh, to, to be a little less less uh, uh, snarky about it, I, I think it it shows a certain disconnect. I think if you really look at most Americans, and I think a lot of even Democratic voters, uh, I don't think this is as big a deal as if you if you were just looking on Twitter, if you were just looking on those who are being most politically engaged. But what you see being argued by what I think is a, a minority of the American populace is something that would, and, and this became clearer in this, 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 this debate, would fundamentally remake every part of your life. It would remake the buildings you live in, the industries you work in, what you're allowed to buy and not allowed to buy, even family life. Uh, uh, Bernie Sanders talking about basically what sounds like enforced population control and encouragement of abortion, back to uh, 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 that issue, all in the name of, of, of trying to reorder the universe because I think there's been this panic about, uh, uh, about the idea of climate change. And by the way, I, I think um, we need to be good stewards of the world. We need to make sure that we are uh, doing our part to be uh, 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 holding uh, responsible dominion over the world. But I think this kind of panic is uh, ends up turning into something where we give over to the government and we give over to, I think, people who are peddling panic utter control of human life and trying to redirect it in ways that are very problematic for, for a regime based on liberty like our own. I think we're going to uh, have an opportunity to have further conversations about um, uh, events that aren't really debates, but really are extended presentations by, by candidates. The, the candidate field in terms of who is going to be in the next debate has apparently grown. I guess Stein has now qualified for uh, for either the next debate or the one in October. Um, and then on the Republican side, we now have uh, Mark Sanford, who has added himself to the mix of primary candidates for um, f- for that. Uh, for It's just going to be an interesting year, but we'll come back to that subject. You and I have got a couple of minutes to talk about. Um, really, I, w- can we just talk about the sort of faith expressions of candidates on the Democratic side in particular? It's a it's a really interesting opportunity for us to talk about people who talk about their faith, and yet they are expressing um, faith in ways that's really going to be unusual for a lot of people. Marianne Williamson rises to the top of my list of interesting candidates in terms of her spiritual expression. But Tulsi Gabbard has a really interesting uh, faith expression as well that's certainly not uh, what Christians in America would sort of understand as a traditional it's actually a very traditional faith as opposed to uh, an expression of Judeo or Christian belief system. So let's uh, let's I don't know, pick one. You want to talk about Marianne Williamson? Uh, sure. I, and, and, and I think that she's very interesting because you still see uh, Gabbard and, and, and Cory Booker and Pete Buttigieg building off sort of institutional longstanding religions that have a very uh, uh, ingrained set of rules, institutional mechanisms. You go to a congregation of some kind. Um, and and what's interesting about Williamson is I think she's part of something that's been emerging for a while, a kind of looser spirituality. 
and something that wants to take from some of the other religions and and form a kind of uh, a broadly more spiritualized idea. I think Oprah is someone who who also sort of imbibes this, and it's going to be very interesting because I think the the idea of the left trying to secularize itself just in my opinion, isn't going to work. Human beings are too much worshiping beings, as Christians know, too much attached to some idea like that. And I think if, if it's not going to be organized religion, it's going to be this kind of a more broader spirituality that she's articulating. All right, you and I have to leave it right there. I have like six other topics to talk with you about, but we're just going to have to hold those over for another conversation. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College, thank you so much for being with us again today. Always a pleasure. I just love talking with you. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. All right, so a little shout out uh, this morning to people who I know are listening, who whose faces and names I now know. So it's always fun to meet listeners. And I got to meet some listeners last night. And so uh, just a little shout out to Lauren and Jan and Maureen. It's just fun. Matt, thinking about folks who uh, I laid eyes on and uh, just appreciate the opportunity to know that you are listening this morning. And so wherever you are this morning as you're listening or maybe you're listening later in the day via the podcast from MyFaithRadio.com, I want you to recognize who you are as a person whom God has sent forth into the world that he so loves to be an agent of his grace, to be an ambassador of his kingdom, to show forth the gospel in all of its substance um, and in all of its beauty. So let's be substantial purveyors of the gospel today. Let's be people in whom not only the spirit is pleased to dwell, but people who are advancing the gospel always and in all ways. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.